You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. This morning we are called upon to deal with Lord's Day 25 of the Heidelberg Catechism, and to that end our scripture reading, our first scripture reading is taken from the Gospel of John chapter 9, verses 1 to 12. And here in John chapter 9, we are dealing with the Lord Jesus in the midst of his healing ministry. And we listen to the word of God as it begins in John 9 verse 1. As he, meaning Jesus, went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud from the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then? Were your eyes opened, they demanded. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man? they asked him. I don't know, he said. Then we turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I preach to you this morning from the word of our God as the church summarizes and confesses this in Lord's Day 25. We're going to read the 
Opening question and answer of Lord's Day 25, question and answer 65. And you'll notice above this Lord's Day, it says word and sacraments. So here we begin a new section of the Heidelberg Catechism. Since then, faith alone makes us share in Christ and all his benefits. Where does this faith come from? From the Holy Spirit, who works it in our hearts by the preaching of the gospel and strengthens it by the use of the sacraments. Beloved congregation of our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ, as we go through this life, there are times when we are on the receiving end of gifts. Mostly we receive these gifts at birthdays or anniversaries, graduations or other special occasions. Yes, and when we receive these gifts, they usually tend to come to us in all shapes and sizes and varieties. Some are large and some are small, some are expensive and some are cheap. Some are colorful, other gifts are quaint, some make music, others tell a story. Some smell, others are handy. Some are useful and others, well, who knows. All kinds of gifts come to us in this life. But you know, it's good once in a while to ask ourselves, to step back and to ask ourselves this question, what is now the best gift that I have ever received in my life? What is it that stands head and shoulders above everything else? What is it that beats them all? Now that may be, if you've lived long, a hard question. Some of you might even say, that's an impossible question to answer. I've received so many gifts in my life, and I can't possibly identify one that is superior to all the rest. And so this kind of question may leave you guessing or musing or pondering or weighing. But you know, deep down, I think that each and every one of you is able to answer this question. Because you know what the best gift of all is? The best gift of all is described in the Bible, and it is the gift of faith. We just read about it together in Ephesians 2, verse 8, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. In other words, as Christians, we believe that the gift of salvation, the gift of faith, is the greatest gift of all. Nothing else compares to it. Not that new drill, not that new dress, not that new bike. Faith tops them all. And now why do we believe that? Well, we could turn once again to Ephesians 2 verse 8 and have a closer look at it, or we can also turn to the opening question and answer of the Heidelberg Catechism here in Lord's Day 25. And this morning we opt for the latter, and I would like to preach to you on the gift of faith. And we're going to see it's priceless, it's divine, and it's continuous. Well, beloved, the first reason as to why the gift of faith is the best gift is because you can say, really, it is priceless. Now, that cannot be said of a lot of the other gifts that we receive in this life. A, 
A price tag can be attached to most of the gifts we receive, flowers, clothes, toys, books, tools. They all come at a price. They all cost a certain amount of money. But you know, that doesn't apply to faith. Here it is impossible to attach a price tag. For look at what answer 65 of Lord's Day 25 tells us. Faith alone makes a share in Christ and all his benefits. You hear what it's saying? It's saying faith makes us shareholders in Christ and of Christ. Faith makes us participants in his benefits. Faith ties us, in other words, to our Savior as nothing else can or will. And faith links us to all of his great benefits and his astounding blessings. And I ask you, what can match this? What price can you put on it? Faith is priceless. And you know, that's something that the Gospels teach us over and over again. If you turn, for example, to Mark chapter 2, there you have that extraordinary story of the paralytic whose friends try to bring him to Jesus. And they try the door, but it is blocked. They look at the windows, but they're too small. They probably tried the polite way, please, would you make room? And maybe they also tried the not-so-polite way, get out of the way. But nothing made any difference. No one moved. No one made room. And at last they resorted to a certain degree of ingenuity. They went up on the roof. They made a hole in the roof. They tied some ropes to the man's mat and they let him down, it says, precisely in front of the Lord Jesus. And thereafter, Mark, the gospel writer, is led to make the following comment. Jesus saw... Their faith. Our Savior saw how these men looked at him and to him. He saw faith in their deeds. He, he saw faith in their eyes and he saw faith in their hearts. Yes, he saw something special in them. And he also did something special. Indeed, he said something to this man. He said, son, your sins are forgiven. In other words, son, do not fret any longer about your past misdeeds and offenses, about the things you have done wrong in relation to God and in relation to your neighbor. Don't worry any longer about God's displeasure, God's anger, or God's wrath. Your slate... Your life has been wiped clean. What a glorious utterance. What a great relief. What an indescribable benefit. But still, it's not the only one. The catechism refers to benefits plural. And we see that in Mark 2 as well. After vindication comes restoration. After forgiveness comes healing. Look at the verses 10 and 11 of Mark 2. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth 
to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up. Take up your mat and go home. Free at last. Free to live. Free to serve. Free to walk. See what faith in Christ does. See its priceless benefits. Yes, and that beloved in turn is not limited to Mark 2 only. Turn as well, for example, to Mark 5, where we meet another desperate person. Only this person has no friends to help her. She's alone, alone with her embarrassing, debilitating, expensive disease. But then she heard about Jesus. And in desperation, she went to seek him out. And she did so with her mind suddenly filled with a very strange idea. If I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. But it worked. She touched his clothes. Her bleeding stopped. And she was healed. However, Jesus was not ignorant of what had happened He turned to her and said, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. You see, this time the healing comes first. And the declaration of forgiveness or peace follows. But notice again how this all comes to her. It comes through faith. Faith in Christ is the key that unlocks the door. The blessings innumerable. And one more example, turn to Mark chapter 9, where you have the story of the demon-possessed boy. This time the story is not about a desperate paralytic or a desperate woman, but it's about a desperate father and a desperate son. And the father says to our Lord, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. And immediately the boy's father explained, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. And the result, the spirit, the evil spirit is evicted. The boy is healed. The father is overjoyed. And the family in Israel is made whole again. Faith in Christ produces more benefits. Yes, beloved, and as we read and reflect on all of these stories in the Gospels, and there are many more, we see gifts, priceless gifts. For who can attach a price to the healing of a paralytic, of a desperate woman, a demon-possessed boy? And even more than that, who can attach a price to the forgiveness of our sins, to the restoration of fellowship with God, freedom from bondage. 
Don't you see the blessings of faith? But then let us add a qualifier here as well. And what qualifier? Well, it's in the words of answer 65, face alone. What this means is, or is meant to do, is to remind us that there is, at the same time, no substitute for faith. And neither can there be any additions to faith. Now, in a manner of speaking, the Catechism had dealt with that in the previous Lord's Day, Lord's Day 24. For for there, the question, you may remember, of our good works had surfaced, and we wondered aloud as to why our good works, all of our good deeds, could not, in one way or another, make a contribution towards our righteousness. In other words, why does it have to be a case of faith alone? Why can it not be faith in God and our works for God that make us share in Christ and all His benefits? And you may remember the answer was swift in coming. Because the righteousness which can stand before God's judgment must be absolutely perfect and in complete agreement with the law of God, whereas even our best works in this life are all imperfect and defiled with sin. To put it very simply, beloved, when it comes to our righteousness before God, our good works, in a sense, do more harm than good. Instead of them adding to our ability to share in Christ, they detract and create obstacles. Instead of them bringing us closer to Christ, they drive us farther from Him. So in the end, works are out. They do not contribute. They cannot help us get saved. And that leaves faith. Faith as the only instrument that enables us to share in Jesus Christ. And that means, beloved, that you and I shouldn't bother to look anywhere else. When it comes to our relationship to Jesus Christ, we shouldn't look at ourselves and our supposed achievements, nor should we bother to look at anyone else. No, rather we should concentrate all our attention on Christ. Make Him the focal point of your life. Make knowing Him your greatest aim. Make trusting Him your highest goal. And make loving Him your deepest desire. And all the while, keep looking to God. And we can say that more specifically, more all the while looking, especially to God, the Holy Spirit. Why the Holy Spirit? Well, beloved, because faith, this priceless gift that we have been speaking about, this priceless gift comes ultimately from Him. He is its primary author. 
And you'll notice that's something not only does the Bible teach it, but something that Lord's Day 25 wants to highlight as well. After reminding us that faith alone makes us share in Christ, it proceeds to ask the question, where does this faith come from? And the answer is, from the Holy Spirit. Faith, in other words, is a gift of God. But it is especially a gift that the Spirit works in our hearts. And you see, that makes it not only priceless, it also makes this gift divine. It comes to us from God. It is worked in us by God. It is very much a supernatural gift. And you know, that's also something that the Scripture teaches us. The Old Testament already gives us a peek into this. Think of King David loaded down with sin and guilt as the result of his double sin against Uriah and with Bathsheba. And in Psalm 51, verse 11, he prays to the Lord, Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. And why does David so desperately want to hang on to the Holy Spirit? Because he knows that without the Spirit of God, he cannot live and he cannot function any longer as a child of God. If the Spirit is taken away, then his face will shrivel, shrink, and die. His link to God will be severed. He needs the Spirit. Yes, and that message, beloved, comes across even clearer and louder in the New Testament. The greater than David appears and he says, we must be born of water and the Spirit. And at Pentecost, it is the Spirit who fills and transforms the church. And after Pentecost, it is the Spirit who fills Stephen and directs Philip and guides Paul and equips the followers of the Christ. And indeed, beloved, read Romans 8. Read Romans 8 especially and be reminded over and over again that without the Spirit we have no life as children of God. Turn with me for a moment to Romans 8. As we go through Romans 8, or at least a part of Romans 8, notice all of the references to the Spirit and how how central the Spirit is. And in verse 2, the law of the Spirit of life. Paul says, set me free from the law of sin and death. And in verse 5, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that sinful nature desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. 
And also the next verse, verse 6, the mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. And look at verse 9. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. And look at verse 11. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who lives in you. And verse 15, for who you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. And also verse 16, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. But beloved, when you go through a chapter like that, is it not very obvious how, how central, how fundamental, how crucial is the person and the work of the Holy Spirit? How desperately we need Him for our faith and for our life. And you'll notice the Catechism also says that this faith comes from the Spirit who works it in our hearts. Notice, not in our hands, not in our toes, not in our feet, not in our arms, not even in our minds, but in our hearts. And why? That reference to our hearts. Because the heart is the center of our being, biblically speaking. It is the core of our existence. The seat of our emotions. In short, the Spirit works faith. In the center of our lives. Some of you may remember that when the hymn section of our book of praise was introduced some years ago, there were some who objected to hymn 37 and to praise being directed to the Holy Spirit. And they said, praise should be directed to God the Father, to God the Son, but not to God the Spirit. And why? Well, they said, because the Spirit works in the background. And the Spirit points the spotlight at Christ. Now, that may all be true. However, does the Spirit who does so much fundamental work in the background, And the Spirit who shines so powerful a spotlight on Christ. Not deserve praise? I think He deserves praise and recognition in spades. But then, beloved, if the gift of faith is priceless because it makes us share in Christ and all His benefits. And if it's divine because it comes from the Holy Spirit, it is also something else. You know what else it is? Well, it's it's continuous. It's an ongoing, ever-flowing 
gift as well. And you know, that can't be said of all the gifts that we receive in this life. Most of the gifts that we get only glitter, and they only gleam for a little while. They seem to lose their attraction rather quickly, and they fade away, or they break, break down, or they wear out. But again, beloved, not so with the gift of faith. It continues to live and to shine and to work. For you see, when it comes to faith, the Holy Spirit is constantly making use of means or of instruments. The Catechism says that the Spirit works faith in our hearts by the preaching of the gospel and strengthens it by the use of the sacraments. I would say to you, take careful note of the verbs here. They're the words works and strengthens. And take note of the connections as well. For the Catechism is saying that while the preaching of the gospel works faith, the use of the sacraments strengthens faith. That's where we get that definition from, that the preaching works faith, the sacraments strengthen faith. But you know, sometimes interesting things are done with that. There are people who hear this and who then say to themselves as well as to others, see, this this goes to show you that what is really important is the gospel because it does something dramatic in you. Whereas the sacraments are second rate because they only do something nice to you. And then it is said, see, the first is essential, the second is non-essential. Now, what do we call this? We call this manufacturing false dilemmas. What the Catechism is really saying, beloved, is that the Word and the sacrament belong together. It doesn't drive a wedge between the two. It, it doesn't, as it were, rate these two. It doesn't declare the first one to be essential and the second one to be non-essential. Now it is saying that the Holy Spirit uses both of these means together. They're both means of grace. They're both instruments of faith. Of course, they may function differently. But that diversity is to be applauded and embraced and not categorized or rated. So, beloved, what we are to do is to thank the Spirit that still today He uses the preaching of the gospel to work faith. And that's kind of surprising in a way. We live in a day and in an age wherein many people have little use for gospel preaching. And you may have noticed that's reflected in any number of things. Pulpits have given way in a lot of churches to stages. People want ten-minute mini-sermons. The sermons have to be light, airy, and fluffy. Times... In worship services, Bibles are not even opened anymore. 
Many passages are read, are rarely expounded on at any length or any depths. And the preacher has to be short, funny, and practical. And not too much should be said about God. Because we people want to hear about ourselves. Beloved, the faithful preaching of the Gospels is dying a thousand slow deaths today. Now what is that? It's an attack on the heart of the faith. It will lead to the death of the church. Limit preaching and you limit the Spirit. Put brakes on the gospel and you put brakes on faith. Preaching and faith. The gospel and the faith belong together. Faith needs the preaching. And faith will not be worked without the gospel and its proclamation. And at the same time, notice, beloved, the catechism also says that faith needs the sacraments. Why did our Lord institute two sacraments of baptism and supper? He did so because He knew that we needed them. We need them to keep our faith strong and bright. In regard to the first sacrament, we need its many promises to remind us that the triune God has been there in our life from the very beginning. The Father has been there with His covenanting work. The Son has been there with His redeeming work. The the Spirit is there with His renewing work. Yes, and what has been there from the beginning goes on still today. Indeed, it will go on all our days and forever. The God who claims us, keeps us, saves us, and one day He will glorify us. He goes with us always and everywhere. And as for the second sacrament, beloved, we need it as well to be reminded constantly about that one thing that makes all the difference in the world. And you know what that one thing is? Answer 66 of the Catechism says, it's the one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross. It's this one thing that reminds us every day. My sins have been washed away. My debts have been cancelled. My past is forgiven. My present is dominated by grace. My future is full of glory. Christ is mine. And I am His. And so, beloved, do you see why we need both? We need gospel preaching to work faith. We need gospel sacraments to strengthen it. And we should never play the one off against the other. And we shouldn't have these ridiculous debates as to which is primary and which is secondary, which is essential and which is non-essential. 
God has given us both. And God means to continue to bless us to both. So let's grab hold of both. The Word and the sacrament. And let's rejoice. Faith is a gift of God. A priceless gift. A divine gift. And a continuous gift as well. Let's pray. Almighty God and Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are the generous and benevolent God who pours upon our lives all manner of blessings and all kinds of gifts. And we thank you especially, Father, for reminding us this morning about that greatest gift of all, the gift of faith, the gift that ties us so wonderfully to your Son, Jesus Christ and to all of its astounding benefits and blessings. Well, Father, we thank you. We thank you for this measure of your grace and love to us. And every day again, may we count our blessings and may we realize how gifted we have become to the work of the Spirit. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.